Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. To Most Excellent, the podcast, your true crime, paranormal, all things strange and peculiar comedy podcast. And uh, it's been about a week since we last posted. Mm-hmm. We did all of our Valentine's minisodes. We did our first tarot reading for you guys, mm-hmm. which we want to do more of them because it was super fun. And we did our cryptid fan fiction episode, yes. read by Danielle, which I can never get out of my head, and it's fine. And our Valentine's Day Massacre episode, mm-hmm. which was awesome. So if you guys haven't listened to those, please do, because they are amazing. Well, I mean, every episode we do is amazing. Oh yeah, perfect. I really like those a lot. But this week, we kind of took a little bit of a different turn. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not, it's not necessarily true crime. It's not ghosts. We have a little bit of ghost activity in this. Oh, okay. I did a little bit of... I was like, there, there has stuff. to be something We have some ghost in there. stuff, and we have some... Conspiracy theories. Conspiracies. Yeah. So, I feel like this also goes under the strange and peculiar category, yeah. as well as just sad in general. Yeah. But we are doing the life of Judy Garland, mm-hmm. and all of the crazy, horrible, terrifying, weird shit that happened with it. Mm-hmm. Now, Judy Garland is one of my favorite people ever in the world. I grew up with everything Judy Garland. I grew up constantly watching The Wizard of Oz. Yep. Um, my mom's favorite album is Judy at Carnegie Hall, which mm-hmm. we'll get into, and my mom would just play it over and over in the car until like, the CD was scratched up, mm-hmm. and I had memorized all the songs to it. A bunch of other movies she had growing up. A Star is Born, I would watch. Just just everything. And I was just obsessed with her life and loved it. And she's she's someone that's always kind of been like an enigma. Yeah. I feel like. Because like people people think they like know her life and as we've seen which is funny because I still haven't seen the Judy movie. I don't know if I want to. I just don't like Liza said she does she won't see it. Oh, Liza, Liza hasn't doesn't seen endorse it. it, and she said she she won't see it. She was like, "I don't endorse these strippers." Yeah. She's like, "I, I don't, don't endorse this stripper." <laughs> she said, "I'm Liza Minnelli, and I don't support these strippers." Mm-hmm. Nicki Minaj, everyone. Uh, <laughs> Liza Minnelli. Nicki Minaj should just give us like money because we. Yeah, she should give us money. She should. You know what? Using she has a song. Nicki. Just share. Just share, share with her. Share your money with us. I wonder if Nicki Minaj saw the Judy movie. I wonder what she thought of it. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't seen it. And yeah, she's one of those people that like everyone thinks, you know, they know what happened. Um, and it can it can get very dark yeah. and very sad, I feel like. But I feel like people don't know that about Judy. People don't know how dark and sad it is because she's been canonized essentially as mm-hmm. like this saintly, look at this beautiful child star, whatever, like not knowing the entire backstory right. of what happened to her. Exactly. So, we are going to, we're just going to, we're just going to dive right into we're it. Vibe. We're just, we're going to vibe it out, and we're, we're just going to. Two pigs on a beach. Vibe it. Two pigs on a beach. <laughs> Danielle said her friends and her picture of herself and a pig vibing on a beach. Vibing on a beach. So that's going to be the theme of this episode. Yeah. Just kidding. All right, so, Judy Garland's super shockers name, her real name isn't Judy Garland. So, she was born Frances Ethel Gum. On June 10th, 1922. So, she's a Gemini. We're already Gem- vibing. Big Gemini energy. Big air energy. We're already on the right path. Mm-hmm. So, as most of you probably know, she was an actress, singer, and dancer. And her career spanned about 45 years. So, she actually, she 
died at a pretty young age. She, she died was 47. when she was 47. Yeah. And she was, her parents, well, she was born to Ethel and Frank Gum. Mm-hmm. So she was named they, after her dad. Yeah, named after her dad, who was Francis. Yes. Um, they were, she was from Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yes. And they owned a theater in town. Yeah, they were vaudeville actors. They were vaudevillians. Yes. But they, did, I don't know if you have this, um, how her mom literally wanted to abort her. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, she wasn't a wanted pregnancy. Her mm-hmm. mom wanted to abort her, and they actually contacted their friend, whose name was Marcus Rabwin, and he was a medical student at the University of Mm -hmm. Minnesota, and they asked for advice for terminating the pregnancy. But abortion wasn't permitted at the time, so this man informed Frank, her father, um, about an illegal procedure they could do, which was mostly done at that time anyway, so there wasn't really a way to do legal abortion. Um, But they were like, oh, it's going to put your wife at risk. risk. So he basically urged them to just go ahead with the pregnancy. Yeah. They were like, just, it's, it's, it's going to be worse for you if you try to get this abortion. And her mom is, literally used to go into the car and she would run over all the bumps in the road to try to induce an abortion. Are you serious? Yeah. I didn't know that. Her mom would go in the car and literally drive over all of the bumps in a row trying to literally just like shake herself up. So Me badly. trying to be late for work. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Going over all the bumps in the um, road. But yeah, so... On June 10th, 1922, Francis Alpha Gum, a.k.a. Judy Garland, was or born. Baby Gum. Baby Gum was born in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. It might, um, we'll talk about this more because in our next episode, we want to get into The Wizard of Oz and interesting stories and conspiracies behind that. But um, my dad had actually worked on a case, my dad's a private investigator, and he worked on a case when her pair of the ruby slippers were stolen mm-hmm. out of her museum. And um, he got to go into her house that is now a museum in uh, Grand Rapids. And he was like, yeah, I sat in her toilet. And I was like, great. Thanks. Um, (laughs) Great. An avocado. An avocado. So that was that. Um, But, yeah, so she she and her sisters were actually an act together Mm -hmm. um, in their vaudeville family. They were the gum sisters. The gum sisters. And their names were Dorothy Virginia and Mary Jane. But Mary Jane, I think her nickname was Susie. They called her, like, Mm -hmm. Susie or Suzanne. And um, this is where she began her lifetime of singing. And um, she did say in 1963, the only time I felt wanted when I was a kid was when I was on stage performing. Which is interesting because her mother was pretty abusive. Yeah. Especially when it came to performing. Stage Stage mom, mom, pageant mom. yeah. Yeah. So... The reason, the main reason I think she wanted to terminate the pregnancy and have an abortion was because her dad was suspected of being a homosexual, a homosexual yeah. which was obviously, like, really not okay at and this time. And especially not okay in small town. In Minnesota. Grand Rapids, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was rumors that Frank's affair with young men and teenage boys could have been affecting Ethel. Yeah. Because that's why they end up moving to California. Yes. It's because he there were so many rumors. found out yeah. that he was sleeping with young boys. So. Right. Which is, being gay is great. Sleeping with young boys, minors not so is not okay. Yeah. Um, so Garland and her older sister, yeah, Mary Jane and Virginia, mm-hmm. moved to California in 1926. So this was really beneficial for her career since mm-hmm. California was, it had MGM. It had all the big studios. This yeah. is where you wanted to go if you were a movie star, a singer, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. So... 
even though they moved here, like, their marriage, her mother and father's mm-hmm. marriage was still going to be in shambles. Yeah. Because later in life, Garland stated, As I recall, my parents were separating and getting back together all the time. It was very hard for me to understand those things. And, of course, I remember clearly the fear I had of those separations. Yeah. So this is where she kind of gets this, like, these abandonment issues. And all of this stuff going very early on where she Mm -hmm. was very dependent on these people in her life. And and she was very very dependent. That dependency on men and to want partnership Mm -hmm. comes from this. Oh, yeah. And all her marriages, as we'll get into later on. But... She, yeah, so she eventually had five marriages under Mm -hmm. her belt by the time she died died when she was 47. So, in Lancaster, Garland would tell neighbors she wanted to be a movie actress, singer, and dancer when she grew up. It was an ambition that her mother shared, though she didn't see the need to wait for Judy to grow up. She Mm -hmm. was like, okay, we're going to do this now. Let's get started. We're used to vaudeville. Like, let's just go right into this. And then she threw them... Essentially, they, she threw them on stage yeah. all the time. And so when Judy was about 10 years old is when her mom started giving them pep pills. Mm-hmm. Or they would give them amphetamines, which would, like, pop them up. Yes. And then they would give them nighttime meds to make them go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So she was literally 10 years old developing a drug addiction, yeah. essentially. exactly. And to bolster Judy's career, Ethel brought her daughter to numerous vaudeville gigs, as well as a few appearances at the Coconut Grove, which was a popular nightclub. And, which I didn't know this, she also performed at the Chicago World's Fair in 1934. I didn't know about that. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, cool. So, like you said, her mom's just throwing her on stage Mm -hmm. and just trying to make money and get noticed. And her mom didn't really care where this was. At these, like, really gross nightclubs and places that... 10-year-old children shouldn't have been. So some of the locations they visited weren't appropriate. Um, There was an appearance at a club that had just been raided for gambling, but her mom didn't care. Mm -hmm. And while Garland's sisters often joined her on stage, they performed as the Gum Sisters after becoming the Garland Sisters in 1934. Mm -hmm. So they originally the Gum Sisters, and then they changed it to Garland. And there are all these different conspiracies or, like, reasons why they changed it to Garland. Judy, apparently Judy had said that someone said they were as pretty as a string of Garland, so mm-hmm. they changed her name to Garland. Lorna Luft had a whole reason yeah. why her mom chose it. But in 1967, with an interview with Barbara Walters, Judy said she would sort of stand in the wings when I was a little girl, and if I didn't feel good, if I was sick to my tummy, she'd say, you get out and sing or I'll wrap you around the bedpost and break you off short. So I'd go out and sing. Mm-hmm. And this is your fucking mom saying this to you. When you're just, like, trying to be a child and you're being given all these drugs and just, like, forced to go on stage Mm -hmm. and perform. So, according to biographer Gerald Clark, it was Ethel, the mom, who first, like you said, provided pills, ones to ramp up energy and others to sleep, to her not-yet-ten-year-old daughter. Ethel's behavior makes Garland later characterization of her mother as the Wicked Witch of the West. So... Obviously, since she was little and she was a child star, her mom brought in, like, her mom kept the money. Her mom took in all the money. So, the work had paid off when she was signed to MGM, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, in 1935. Mm -hmm. And she was only 13 years old when she was signed. She was literally 13. She was a baby. She was not even, she was a preteen. Yeah, she was a preteen. And then she changed her name to Judy herself when she was, because they always called her, like, Baby Gum. Mm -hmm. So, she changes her name when she's around 12 years old after, like... Um, like, one of these critics, their name was, like, Judy something, and so they 
changed she changed her name to Judy at that point because she was tired of being like baby gum blah blah blah. I would be hate to be called baby gum too. Jeez. So I'm sorry. The critic line. It's not that. uh, She's not named after a critic. A critic renamed them. They were re- the Garland. One of the rumors about where Garland comes from is like a famous critic was the one who they were supposedly named after. But okay. Judy changed her name herself. She's yes. like, I want to be called Judy. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, is much better than Baby Gum. Yeah. So even though they were assigned to MGM, it wasn't quite the happy ending that they'd hoped for because not only was the studio slow to find roles for Garland. But being under contract also opened her up to a world of criticism about her appearance. Yeah. So this is where it comes into, like, they literally made her believe that she wasn't attractive and that she wasn't an attractive girl. Mm -hmm. Like, they would give her, like, discs for her nose. They would, like, they were like, oh, she's the ugly duckling of the performance, which is insane. And she is literally, so when you think about it, you have someone who's literally 13, 14, 15 years old, literally just getting absolutely slammed yeah. with criticism at all times. Like, at all times from all places and everywhere. And so her dad dies, mm-hmm. and then she's left with only her mom. Yeah. And so she's literally, like, around 14 years old at this point, and literally just getting absolutely slammed by studio execs, mm-hmm. saying, like, she was so she was 4'11", and she was gaining all this weight when she was, like, 14, and that's when they started her on Benzedrine pills, mm-hmm. which essentially was, like, going to make you lose weight. And so she was literally prescribed this – she was prescribed Benzedrine. Her doctor didn't know that she was also taking amphetamines and barbiturates at the same time. Right. So she's literally, like, overloading her body by the time she's 14 to start losing weight, to look better, to meet all of these standards, like, right. as a 14-year-old girl. Which is insane. Yeah. And apparently studio head Louis B. Mayer allegedly called Judy my little hunchback. Me. Me. <laughs> it's like my mom to me. Oh, Come here. My, my little <laughs> my hunchback. My little hunchback. Um, because she was less than five feet tall and she had a bit of a curvature of the spine. Mm-hmm. Um, and because she was overweight, the commissary was ordered to serve her nothing but chicken broth and cottage cheese. Excuse me. This Can is not imagine? David Bowie where we're eating banana, banana peppers, peppers and, milk. and milk. That's not that's not what this is. And Mayor even had a network of informants who kept an eye on Garland when she was eating cuz that's not how you, you know, develop an eating disorder or like tra- yeah. being traumatized. And he literally this like the whole quote is that you look like a hunchback. We love you, but you're so fat. You look like a monster. That's what he told her. That's literally what he told her. I'm just I would like everyone, I mean, I know all these people are dead now, but I would just like everyone to go to church and then, and then go and then spit on. Go pee on his grave, (laughs) please. Um, but despite this, she was still going to become a breakout star. Um, and she still kept this practice of like barely eating Mm -hmm. and being on this amphetamine based diet. Mm -hmm. So, but she later said From the time I was 13, there was a constant struggle between MGM and me, whether or not to eat, how much to eat, what to eat. I remember this more vividly than anything else about my childhood, which is just like, it just makes me so sad, even to like wrap my mind around around it, just her being like, oh, should I eat today? I don't know. Well, because literally during this time, it was so normalized that you would just do whatever you had to, to get a role. Yeah. It was just very normal. And that's just what you did. They were like, oh, okay, you need to lose weight? Absolutely. You know? Um, So her literal, so it says like here that her daily diet 
was chicken soup, black coffee, and 80 cigarettes. 80? 80. It says, 80, it says chicken soup, black coffee, and 80 when cigarettes. When she was 14? Yeah. When she was filming uh, Wizard of Oz. Wow. Chicken that soup. That makes a lot of sense. Black coffee and 80 cigarettes. That's like one of the, I don't know what How does she not, I, oh, maybe she did throw up every day. I don't know. That's like one of those old time, oh, one of these actresses literally used to just eat steak tartare and drink, <laughs> and like cigarettes and coffee. That's all she used to eat. Honestly, what a life, though. What a, what a life, man. Because, like, she was so tiny in that movie. And, I like, they had her wear, um, you know, like, the signature blue and white checkered mm-hmm. dress. And they used that design to, like, basically, like, oh, like look like she's not as big. Yeah, they they binded her chest, essentially, yeah. when she shoots Wizard of Oz. Because they're, like, they couldn't get Shirley Temple. Yeah. They wanted Shirley Which, Temple. Which, thank God. Because it would have been a shit show. They wanted her to play Dorothy. And then they yeah. were like, oh, we can't get her, so we're going to get this right. 16-year-old. It would have been a whole different story yeah. if it was Shirley Temple. It would have been like a cute... Like, don't get me wrong. I love Shirley Temple movies. But it have been like a cute little, you know, singing songs or whatever. It wouldn't have been this, like, cultural... Phenomenon. Phenomenon that we know now. So, like you mentioned, her dad died in 1935, shortly mm-hmm. after she signed onto MGM. And... She continued to have this difficult relationship with her mother, yeah. who was on the MGM payroll herself. Mm-hmm. So, and the relationship worsened when her mom married again, literally on the fourth anniversary of her father's death. She got remarried. I think her mom was just, she was probably, like, I think she knew that her husband was gay and was like, mm-hmm. they were just staying together for the sake of appearances. Yeah. So she probably was like, I gotta get out of here. Whatever. I gotta have a marriage. Yeah. yeah. So, when Garland started to capture the public's attention and MGM wanted to capitalize on her, um, no one was really worried about the long-term interests. We're like, it's like, whatever, you know, she's fine, we'll just keep going Mm -hmm. the way it is. So, in 1937 and 1938, she spent periods making two films at a time. Mm -hmm. So, she could spend, like, she spent three hours in school, two hours in singing rehearsal, and then, you know, was in front of the cameras, and it wasn't unusual for her work to end at, like, 4 or 5 a.m. Yep. So she was just constantly going. working, yeah. She's constantly going and on pills mm-hmm. to wake up and on pills to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, and then to maintain the schedule, she, yeah, like you said, it was just pills, and it was what she called bolts and jolts. Mm-hmm. So this was the kickoff to a really destructive pattern that would continue for years, and this was, you know, a really big lead up to her death was the substance abuse throughout her entire life. And this is like the way that a lot of stars during this time, a lot of female stars during this time, this is exactly how their life basically went. Where it was like, the studio tells you that you have to lose weight. The studio tells you that you have to gain weight. The studio tells you how you have to look at all times. And a lot of them ended up like completely ruining their bodies over the fact that like, hey, you have to look exactly the way we want you to look or we're going to fire you. Right. And during this time, they didn't have a right to sit there and they didn't have any legs to stand on when it came to studio execs. Like, they couldn't just be like, yeah, actually, go fuck yourself. I'm not going to lose weight or whatever. You had to do that or else they would pull you from the film. As we see, like, later on in Judy's life, she gets pulled from several films. Like, they don't care. Yeah. They don't care if you're a big star. Like, they will pull you from a film and your career will be over, which happens to her several times over. So she has no legs to stand on with these people. Um... There's a lot of, like, things that happen during Wizard of Oz filming that are kind of, like, imperative to what happens to her later on in her life and everything. Yeah. So 
when she was around 16 is when Mayer and other, like, studio executives, when she was filming Wizard of Oz, they literally started to sexually harass her mm-hmm. and be like, oh, look at this beautiful 16-year-old girl. If you want any favors and you want to move up in this world, like, you better get with me, yeah. essentially. And she would, like, she turned them down. Mm-hmm. But, so it was literally, she's 16 years old and being approached by very much right. older than her men. And the same thing was happening, like, with Shirley Temple, too. Oh, yeah. Like, Shirley Temple, I mean, it was happening to basically every woman with, at this time. But, like, Shirley Temple also said, like, later on, it was, this was when she was a little older. Mm-hmm. But, like, someone, like, this guy, like, locked her in his office and was like, oh, you know, like, if you want to do this, this is what you're going to have to do. And Shirley Temple was like, you thought? And then, like, like, left. She was like, absolutely. She literally backed over and she was like, absolutely the fuck not. And also during this time, which I never knew this, so Sid Luft, who Mm -hmm. Judy goes on to marry, said that she disclosed to him that when he was, or when she was filming the, um when she was filming for Wizard of Oz, she was repeatedly molested by the actors portraying munchkins in the film. Like, they said, like, she was repeatedly groped and molested Oh, by yeah, actors. I heard they were, like, drunk all the time. Yeah. And so he said, quote, they would make Judy's life miserable on set by putting their hands under her dress. The men were 40 or more years old. They thought they could get away with anything. So literally they were disgusting. sticking their hands up the 16-year-old's dress. She's getting harassed by studio execs she's getting harassed by people on set like she just could not catch a break like you she's thinking like this is going to be this great experience i'm finally in this wonderful big movie and it does turn out to be like a beautiful wonderful success but also like she paid dearly for it because this sets up a whole chain of events for her right okay so that was 1938 so in 1939 she starts to basically break out as this lead musical star Mm -hmm. and so she makes up to 10 movies in one year yes and then she that's when she sings uh zing with the strings of my heart and that was like a big deal like she was singing that like everywhere because they were like oh my god she has this amazing voice because she her voice is haunting oh yeah no one no one else has judy garland's voice her vibrato is just like nothing Mm -hmm. else in this world and so she obviously at this point is completely pill dependent. Mm-hmm. And so this woman in one of the uh, one of the docs I was watching defended the fact that her mom and everyone used to dope her up, and she said they didn't mean to addict her; they were just trying to make a picture. Mm-hmm. I was like, didn't so it's okay to. that they ruined this whole girl's life because they were trying to make a movie. Right. Okay. So I don't know if you have anything else for this time, but I have. The first of her marriages is where I'm starting. Yes. Which I also wanted to mention before that I think it's funny that, like, you know, she's being harassed by all these men at, like, such a young age. Mm-hmm. And what you don't think about is even though she later married Sid Loft, he met her when she was, like, 15 years old mm-hmm. on a set for another movie. And he was dating, I think, Ava Gardner at yeah. the time, who was, like, the star of the movie. He dated several. He went through several, like, big starlets at yeah. the time. Yeah, and I literally met her when she was 15, Mm -hmm. and then later, like, went on to marry him, which was ridiculous. Yeah. So, her first, the first of Judy's marriages is when she's 18 years old, and she marries David Rose, who is 30 years old, Mm -hmm. and a music producer. So, how old was she again? She was 18. 18, okay. And he's 30. And so, she wanted to be alone and on her own, essentially, at this point. She wanted to be on her own, and she's trying to really break away from her mom. Mm -hmm. So, essentially, that's the catalyst for her getting married, is that she really wanted to be away from her mom. So, she goes and she gets married in Vegas to David Rose. And so, she finds out two years later... Wait, I'm sorry. David Rose? Shit's I know, I I just thought of that. that. I was like... (laughs) 
Why does it sound so familiar? She's like, David! She's she's like, oh my god, David. Oh my god, David. We have to get married. David! Her mom is more Her mom is more (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Yeah. Um, Can we have Catherine O'Hara play Ethel Gum in the biopic? Okay, but I would absolutely be down for that. She would smash it. Finn Whitrock played... um, Oh, uh, the last husband, He plays Mickey Deans, I think. That's so funny. Because he looks nothing like Mickey Deans. He looks nothing like Mickey Deans. Mickey D's. Mickey, he looks nothing like McDagnalls. McDagnalls. <laughs> <laughs> and so when she's 20, she finds out that she's pregnant, and Ethel basically tells her, like, you can't have this baby because it's going to ruin oh, yeah. your career. Oh, yeah. She had multiple, multiple abortions. abortions. Which, that was common. Like, yeah. Marilyn Monroe had multiple abortions. She had multiple abortions. This was, like, just common for the and time. And the studio executives were like, you get an abortion. You get an, you get an abortion. abortion. Everybody gets an abortion. He was just handing out rusty scissors to all these hoes. He was like, take this hanger and go. Here. So they forced her to get this abortion. And during this time, essentially she wanted the baby. She wanted something to mm-hmm. love and to have this baby. And she thought like, oh, this is going to be my saving grace, you know? Yeah. And her mom and the studio essentially told her like, you cannot have this baby because it will ruin your entire image as this beautiful virginal girl next door. Right. So... She gets the abortion, and then after this, she has an affair with Joseph Makowitz, who is one of the producers at MGM, and he's one of the people that first sends her to see a psychotherapist. So he, mm. like, encourages her to go and actually, like, get some help, yeah. which she does for a while. He's but. like, you're kind of, like, mellowing me out, yeah, and, like, yeah. I need you to go talk to someone. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so, like, this image of the girl next door... And, like, you know, being in the studio and having to create all these movies, this is when she was also being very criticized for her look still. Yeah. Um, and still kind of, like, growing out of that. So they had her wear, like I mentioned before, removable caps on her teeth and rubberized discs to reshape her nose, which yeah. is so weird. Um, and eventually on the set of, so this was later on in Meet Me in St. Louis, one of our favorite movies, mm-hmm. um, when she was 21, she met Dottie Ponadel who was a makeup artist that worked at MGM. And after reviewing the additions to her look, um, Judy was surprised when Ponadel said that the caps and discs that she'd been using weren't needed. She was like, you're a really pretty girl. Mm -hmm. You don't need any of this. And it was like a holy shit moment for Judy Garland, who was like, okay. So this makeup artist went forward with being Judy's makeup artist. Like from Mm -hmm. any movie she worked on with MGM, this was her makeup artist. Um... And the work that she did for Meet Me in St. Louis was, like, Judy's favorite makeup look out of, like, she any of the movies. She so good. stunning in this movie. She yeah. looks absolutely so gorgeous in the movie. Yes. Like, her makeup, her hair, like, all of it. Everything. She looks great. And her waist in this movie is, like, snatched for God. Yeah. Like, they, she is, like, thin. Tiny. And she thought she was fat during this movie. Yeah. And if you look at her in this movie, she's literally, like, her waist is, like, tiny my wrist my wrist literally and this is where she meets her next husband vincent minnelli vincent vincente vince vincente that's what she means supernatural (laughs) um so she meets director vincent minnelli and they're filming meet me in st louis together and this is a box office breaking movie and they didn't like each other at first they They fought on the movie set all the time and so she was literally 22 she gets divorced from David. <laughs> Goals. And she marries Vincent Minnelli, who was 41. And gay. And he's gay. <laughs> he was, we're we're he all going to say it. He was rumored to be bisexual at the time because someone said that, like, oh, he used to wear makeup and, like, all this stuff. Which Whatever. boys can wear makeup if they fucking want to. Right. 
And um, that was a big rumor about him. It's like, oh, he shows up wearing makeup and look at his Also, it was Hollywood in the 30s and 40s. Like, everyone yeah. wore makeup. Mm-hmm. So, he's rumored to be bisexual or gay. And so, they get married in 1945. And her mother and MGM, of course, were like, chef's kiss. Like, this is gonna... <laughs> they literally did that. They, they turned into kid. Gordon Ramsay. They, they were like, it's raw! It's fucking raw! And they just screamed. <laughs> so... They're thinking, they took a bite and they were marvelous. Marvelous. Oh my god. Did you That's make this? Who made this? Stunning. When he goes in and the only thing he likes is like the dessert, dessert. made by the lady in the back. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's like, who made this bring her to the meeting? She's thinking like he's gonna fucking like kick her in the ass. Yeah. And he's Those like, two Italian ladies amazing. and they're like, oh, my mom made it. <laughs> he's like, gets up and kisses her. He was like, this is amazing. That was Judy Garland's mother that to Liza. Exactly. Said. That's exactly what happened. I love how we have to compare everything to a fucking episode of <laughs> Kitchen Nightmares. Nightmare. So good. Um, so, but her, here's the thing, though. Her mom is actually absolute garbage, obviously. Well, we all know that. We, yeah. Her mom is an absolute... Garbage fire. She's yeah. a garbage fire. And so her mom is thinking, like, oh, that's great. He's older. He's going to take care of her, so mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about right. her, essentially. She's like, oh, he's going to be new daddy. Yeah. So, that candle smells really good. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We have a uh, peanut pumpkin peanut brittle from Bath and Body Works lit. Yes, um, Bath lit. and Body Works. If you're listening and you would like to sponsor us, please um, email let us. us know. We light one of your candles every time we record. Exactly. Anyway, I, don't know why I, saw that. I'm like, I got really hungry. I can say it, but I'm really hungry. Um, so essentially, they're like, "Oh, he's great. He's gonna take care of her. He's gonna be hashtag Zadi." Mm-hmm. And so she throws away her pills at this point, and she stops seeing her therapist. Because mm, that's what you gotta do. Exactly. So she's like feeling great. She's feeling really good. Mm-hmm. She's, she's like, thriving. She's vibing. She's vibing. She's vibing with a pig. She's vibing with a pig. Literally. She's vibing with a pig. And so she finds out she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, <laughs> fantastic. She literally like puts her arms up like Alexis and is like, yeah. David. David. Vincent. Vincent. <laughs> so in March of 1946, she has Liza Minnelli when she's 24 years old. I can't see. We're that age right now. Could you imagine having Liza Minnelli at this age? A no. full-grown human leaving your body? Full-grown. Okay. <laughs> full-grown size Liza, Liza Minnelli at the age of, like, 65, mm-hmm. just coming out of her mother. Mm-hmm. Amazing. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> so, but the problem is, of course, the studio literally wanted her right back to work. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, you just pushed out a full-grown 65-year-old yeah, woman like, back in from yourself. your pussy? Get back in. That's exactly what they said to her. So they basically enticed her and are like, ooh, we'll give you a new salary. Like, please come back. So she literally comes back literally a year after having her baby. She's like back at it again on the lot. Back at it again on the lot. Do you have something or do we keep going? Um, keep going. So Judy at this point, of course, goes back on pills because she has to lose her baby weight. Mm Mm-hmm. And so she becomes really, really paranoid because these pills would make you, like, we see this with Marilyn Monroe, too. Mm Mm-hmm. When you're taking barbiturates and you're taking amphetamines, it makes you really, really paranoid. It's one of the side effects. And so when she comes back, she starts filming a film called The Pirate. Mm-hmm. And this is directed by Vincent Minnelli. And she becomes so paranoid and so just, like, off the rails that literally she's just taking off set for this movie. Like, she, yeah. like, could not handle it. And so... She blames, this movie obviously doesn't do well. Right. And she blames Vincent for this, and she's like, you're absolute garbage. And she spits, she opens his eyes, and she spits in both of them. Didn't they, who did they replace, they replaced her for it, right? Or did they just not finish it? That's another one. They finished this one. Yeah, because they replaced Ginger Rogers for her in another movie. When she was with the movie with Fred Astaire. Yeah. Yeah. 
So she's sent to a sanitarium in 1947. And everyone, all these doctors are recommending that this woman needs to stay in the sanitarium. Like yeah. she needs to stay here indefinitely. Like right. Guys, this is somewhere she stayed in where she was meeting um, with like the disabled children at I the sanitarium. I didn't read about that. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I think this is, or it might have been later in her life, but she did stay at a sanitarium. But yeah, she said visiting with these kids actually, like, helped her a lot and really mm-hmm. lifted up her spirits. And it actually helped her to, like, get she off the pills. No, we're not doing so that. Is, can Josh Grosjean? She doesn't, Grosjean? did Josh Grosjean stand on the Can Trojan, can Josh Trojan come? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But yeah, so this is, because this is when she was finally, like, getting off the pills and had, like, yeah. a normal sleeping schedule. And they sent her to the sanitarium, and they were like, oh, okay, we're going to let you stay here. And then the executives come and get her. They were like, nay, nay, I say. They were like, no, no, no. They were like, get back. They were like, get back on. And they, like, threw her over their shoulder, and they carried her out. So, of course, she needed, she really, really needed to stay in the sanitarium, but they were like, "Mm -hmm, absolutely not. So, she comes back. She does one really successful movie called Easter Parade. Oh, I love that movie. And in the next movie she does, she literally gets replaced and dropped from payroll. They were like, no. Because she's, like, going was off Easter, the rails. Was Easter Parade the first one that Liza Minnelli was in? I don't know. I think she, Liza Minnelli made an appearance. I'm pretty sure it was Easter Parade or maybe it was Summer Stock. But that's mm-hmm. when she was doing all those, like, really big movies. Yes. I have a DVD with, like, four of them on there. It's, like, Summer Stock, Easter Parade. Um, is it for me and my gal? Maybe. There's a bunch. There, she did so many movies in yeah. such a short amount of time. She that was it's just like insane. They took her out of the sanitarium and then put her right to work. Mm-hmm. And then we're expecting her to just, like, I don't know, get it all together very quickly. Right. Really just pulled her out of the sanitarium. And so this is around this time that she comes home and she finds Vincent in bed with another man. Mm-hmm. And so she attempts to slit her wrists. But. She, I think she does, like, a surface cut, essentially, and she's yeah. taken to the hospital and whatever. Because at that point, you're like, I need someone to take care of me. Yeah. Like, can you, she needed to show a physical way that she was suffering. Yes. Because otherwise, they weren't going to do anything. Because if it was all just mental, she was mm-hmm. literally in a sanitarium, and yeah. they pulled her out. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're, what what else are they going to do? She's like, I have to find some way to, like... Get this out. Show this. And so this actually kind of helped her because... This attempt is what gets her this time. It earns her this time to relax and be a mom. Yes. So she gets to relax and be a mom, but this, of course, is short-lived because then she's back into movies and she's back on her pills again, which made her really moody and really unreliable. So she gets cast in Annie Get Your Gun. Yes. Yes. But. This is a, here's the thing. Annie Get Your Gun with Betty Hutton is one of my favorite movies of all time. This was another movie that we had on VHS when I was little, and I would wear the tape out. And like I said, I was also a big fan of Judy Garland, and I didn't know, because they had like kind of behind-the-scenes things mm-hmm. after, that Judy Garland was supposed to be cast yes. as Annie Oakley in Annie Get Your Gun. And you can actually see image from it when she mm-hmm. was when they were filming, and she would, like, go through the songs, and she was singing, they'd stop, and she was like, oh, like, I'm tired, like, because this is when she was going through electroshock for depression yes. as well. So, but it's just interesting because, first of all, Betty Hutton knocks it out of the park with that mm-hmm. movie. She's an amazing, like, character actor and performer, and Annie Oakley is supposed to be this, like, you know, kind of, like, hillbilly that, and it's like, she she does One the song so well. Judy Garland, love her to death, but she's used to glamorous movie roles. She's yes. not used to, like, gritty, 
like, yes. you know, these, like, roles where it's, like, someone who comes from, like, poverty and, like, you know, like, that, like, Betty Hutton did it very well. And Judy Garland was very glamour New York with it. Yes. And just how it would have been so different with Shirley Temple in Reservoirs, it would have been so different with Judy yes. Garland in Annie Get Your Gun. So it was better that she, she got replaced by Betty Hutton and stopped doing the movie because Betty Hutton fucking knocked it out of the park and did an amazing job. But one of the main reasons why Judy couldn't do it was because she was going through electroshock and because she was having trouble with pills and literally either would show up late to set or mm-hmm. barely showed up at all for and multiple days. And also her days. hair is literally starting to fall out yes. because of the pills. So her hair and you is can see it out. in the movie. Yeah. I don't think they had her in a wig for that. They think I just... I think they pulled... They kind of pulled her hair back and had her yeah. like in the headdresses and stuff like that. Right. So you couldn't really see yeah, it. Yeah, because they have like the really racist Native yeah, it's American super teams. racist. Yeah. yeah. So they have her head... Like her hair pulled back and everything. And also her weight is like yo-yoing. So she mm-hmm. looks different sizes yes. when they were doing like the pre-filming or whatever she mm-hmm. was in. And so... She's literally at this point now, She in May of 1949, she gets replaced in the movie. Yes. And they suspend her again, and she's sent into the hospital again. They let her stay for three months. Mm-hmm. But she, of course, because she's finally, like, getting somewhat stable, she gains 20 pounds when she's mm-hmm. in the hospital, which right. will happen. And so, of course, she gets out of the hospital and gets placed back on pills she starts acting up on set. So what year was this, do you know? This is um, around 1949, May of 1949. Okay. She gets replaced. Right. She so goes, be- yeah. before this, she had done um, The Harvey Girls, which is another big movie. And this movie had the Academy Award winning song on the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. So this, like, she had had a good amount of fame by this time, too. She had done, like, these Oscar Award winning songs and was like, okay, like... I need to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. So she is literally, like, on top of her game, but also falling apart at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so she, after she gets out of the hospital, she gets placed back on these pills. And, of course, she gets suspended again when she starts acting up. And this is when she attempts suicide and she slits her throat with a glass, like a sharp okay. glass. Yeah. It's a surface cut. Mm-hmm. It didn't go deep. So Vincent finds her and he, she. I think she went into the bathroom and she... To, like, yeah. attempt to slit her throat. And so she was still with him at the time, or they were going, they were, they were getting separated? I think they were separated. Mm-hmm. They've been, they've been on and off separated. Yeah. But they're together at this time, and he finds her, obviously. And literally, he, like, finds her, they go to the hospital and everything, and the doctor's like, yo, this, this cut isn't deep. But that Rabwin guy, who was her family doctor, basically is like, yo, this is a cry for help. And he literally went to the head of MGM and he was like, you guys are going to kill her. Mm-hmm. He was like, if you guys keep running her this way, you guys are literally going to kill her. So this doctor that from the beginning was still around? Yeah, he was a family wow. doctor. His okay. wife is interviewed. I watched like the E! Hollywood tr- ho- e! Tro- it. The e tro- the trolley clang 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 with the trolley. So I watched that. So sorry about that. Is the e in the e true Hollywood story and like all the other documentaries? It's his wife speaking. Wow. And his wife is the one that said like they weren't trying to addict her; they were trying to make movies. And I was like, really, really, Marie? Is no. that what they were trying to do? Marie. <laughs> I don't know what her fucking name was. Whatever. I love how wait. How is the wife on the opposite end of the family doctor? What do you mean? Didn't you say the wife of the doctor? The wife of the doctor is on the documentaries. Yeah, so then why is she saying the shit when the doctor is trying to help her? Well, I think that she was saying, like, 
she essentially was saying that, like, when they... Pres- I don't know if he... He wasn't the one, I think, that prescribed her the pills. Right. I think she was saying that, like, when she was taking all these pills, like, they didn't mean to addict her. Right. Yeah. But I'm saying, if if the wife of the doctor is saying oh, that... Oh, like, cared the, about her that's that That's weird. She was... She's obviously, like, of her time. Yeah. Where, like, she made several, like, little comments about, like, oh, he was gay and, like, all this stuff mm-hmm. were made by her. Uh-huh. And so you can tell she's very judgy about mm-hmm. it. But I think she was just basically saying in that thing, like, oh, well, all these doctors. And I was like, well, if your husband tried to help her. Right. Then why aren't you? shut your fucking mouth. Yeah. Also, why are you relevant in the yeah. first place? Relevant, but that's so interesting that her family doctor was, like, around that and, like, finally opened his mouth and was like, yeah, hello. Yeah, he went to them. And so she gets actually released from her contract entirely. Okay. From MGM. And so. Which is she, for the best, but at the same time, not for her, because no. her, her whole life has been making movies mm-hmm. and, and, so and being an entertainer. Her whole life has been about being entertaining and giving the people what they want, essentially. And so at 28 years old, she loses her contract. She basically has to start from scratch, so she gets into a radio career. And this is where she meets Sid Luft, and she essentially is, like, really attracted to Luft because he's kind of this, like, really man's man. Like, he's very man's man, and she's looking for someone to take care of her. And that's what we have to kind of understand mm-hmm. about Judy Garland is, like, she really, really needed a man in her life to take care of her. And you see that's kind of her downfall with all of yeah. her marriages. Like, she needed that because of what a rough childhood and rough, rough life she had. She wanted that for herself. And so she meets Sid Luft, and she's like, he's this man-man. He's, he's going to take, take care, care of me. Of me. It's yeah. going to be great. And so in 1951, she gets divorced from Manelli. And Sid Luft, Sid Luft is kind of like, he's kind of controversial because he's like a jagoff, but he also yeah. helps her career. Right. So it's like a deal with the devil kind of deal. And so he is the one that encourages her to start focusing on singing, and he becomes her manager. Mm-hmm. And so she plays that breakout show at the Palace Theater. Yes. And so the Palace Theater's in New York, and so she plays this beautiful breakout show, and the theater had been closed up to that point, and it opened again just for her. And she literally was doing 13 shows a week. Yeah. Just, like, constant. So is this one, um, she went back, because she gained all that weight in the hospital, Mm -hmm. and then... Immediately when she was coming out, that's when she was cast in Summerstock, opposite of Gene Kelly. Um, and it took six months to complete, but to lose weight, she went back on the pills. Um, and she began showing up late or not at all. And so she basically slimmed down for this number because she agreed to do it if the song would be Get Happy. Yeah. Um, and she had lost 15 pounds and looked more slender for Get Happy. Um, and that was the last segment of Summerstock that was filmed, which was, yeah, so that was her final picture yes. at MGM. Yes. And that's when she started to do this. So she was probably back on pills and all yep. this stuff for that, too. She's right back on it. And what's sad is that all of her husbands are literally in on the deal. Yeah. Nobody tried to help her. No. And so she films that movie, gets released. She meets Sid Luft. They get married in 1952. And so they get married, but before this, she literally faints and passes out and is told, like, oh, you have to relax and you have to slow down. And she literally just keeps going because she doesn't really want to let people down. Yeah. She's like, I can't let people down. I have to keep going, you know. I have to keep doing these shows. So she's doing these shows at the Palace Theater. She's, like, running herself ragged. Yeah. Um, so in 1952, she marries Sid. They have kids together. Joey and Lorna. Joey and Lorna. Sid left. Joey and Lorna left. Yeah. 
Um, and he really bolsters her confidence, but he also puts her to work. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of a controversial figure in her life where it's like, yes, there was some stability, there was something there, but also he basically bankrupt her and left her destitute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is when A Star is Born comes into play too because mm-hmm. this was her like final big role where she was up for an Oscar for it. This is in 1953. We're, we're in around... We're around yeah, so it, yeah, I think it came out in 54. Yeah, because this is around 1953, which her mom dies in 1953 yes. of a heart attack. And so her and her mom didn't really speak anymore, and her mom was actually working at a factory at this point. Interesting. So her mom literally died making, like, a dollar an hour. Like, they were that estranged. The That's how like, I'm going to die. I mean, yeah. That's what I'm currently doing. Exactly. So a lot of... Um, no disrespect, but kind of. Here we are. <laughs> so she falls into a really deep depression. This is around the time that she gets the role for A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. She falls into this really deep depression, and she goes back on pills again. And so when she runs out of pills, like, she was running through pills so quickly to the point that, like, uh, that lady, the Rabwin lady, mm-hmm. the, the doctor's wife, tells a story about how she had secondals, which are, like, sleeping pills, mm-hmm. had them in her bathroom cabinet. And Judy went over to her house, went for dinner, and literally went in her bathroom cabinet and took all of her pills. And she was looking... Obviously, like, she went and she looked yeah. in Judy's change purse and saw all of them in there. And Judy was like, well, do you hate me now? Like, do, are you disgusted with me, kind of? Right. And she was like, you know, I could never hate you, Judy. Like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So everyone's aware that there's a problem. Right. Like, everyone is very, very... It's very transparent that Judy is off the rails. She's on pills. And nobody is doing anything about it. Mostly because this is commonplace for the time where you would, like, like value the dolls. Yeah. Pills were the thing that everyone was doing. Everyone needed them. Everyone was kind of just addicted to them. So it was normal right. at this time. But also, they're aware of how bad she's spiraling. Like, if you see somebody stealing pills no, from so, you, yeah. it's not just, like, casual. You know oh, that like, she has yeah. a problem. And yet, nobody really does anything. Right. And this was a big movie that she's working on now, too. Because because this, I mean... We have her singing in a lot of the movies, mm-hmm. but this was, like, her big... Like, we have um, The Man That Got Away. Yes. Um, one of her more well-known songs. She did that whole song in one take, live. Mm-hmm. No backup tracks, no anything else, just one take did that whole song. So she was super dedicated to this movie. But along with being super dedicated came these outcries of this illness coming back and her yeah. really needing help for it. So this is in October of 1953. She's filming, and this movie was a $5 million budget movie. Yeah, it was huge. Which is one of the most expensive at the time. Yeah. So this is what she actually gets nominated for an Oscar for. And, and then fucking loses to Grace fucking Kelly. Fucking Grace Kelly, who literally is garbage. Stop. I like Grace Kelly. I, I like, like Grace was Kelly. She, was she on the level of Judy Garland? Was she a good no. actress? No. Um, but you know, good for her. She got to marry the fucking prince. prince of Monaco. And he kept her in his house for like five years. And then she had a heart attack while driving. Yeah. And became part of the cursed family. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta do her. We'll do, we'll do it up. We'll do Grace we'll do Kelly nuts. We'll just do Starlets. We'll do her. We'll do Marilyn. Yeah. Oh, Marilyn's gonna be like a four part series. I know. Oh no. It's like when they do, last podcast on the left, when they do like 20 episodes like per person. Literally, it's gonna be 20 episodes for Marilyn. You already know. Yes. So 
Grace Kelly obviously wins over her, but Judy really thinks that she has it. Judy's yeah. like, I 100% I would, I would have thought the same fucking thing if I was her. That movie was, mm-hmm. first of all, the movie's three hours long. Okay. Yeah. They had to cut this movie down, it was, and that's it's what, what the downfall was. Like, I have it on DVD, and it's two discs mm-hmm. <laughs> for the fucking movie. It's, well, it was a long movie, first of all, so that's what they think really was the reason she didn't get the Oscar is because mm-hmm. they cut the movie down to like two and a half hours, yeah. which made a lot of plot holes in it. Mm-hmm. So essentially... No There's one, a whole part in there that's like random yeah. like images and like no acting. Yeah, they like cut, they <laughs> cut like literally so everything bizarre. out and were like, oh, here's this random fucking TikTok. Yeah. Here you go, put it in there. And so that's why they think that Judy essentially lost the Oscars mm-hmm. because there were so many plot holes, but that also wasn't her fault because she filmed a great movie. Um... She literally was watching the Oscars from her hospital bed because she was giving birth to Joey. That's goals, though. Can you imagine? No! <laughs> like, you're, like, you're, like, giving birth and you're, like, put it on. I want to see. Uh, could you imagine see- having a freaking birth of baby while you're nominated for an Oscar you don't even get to go? And then you lose? Yeah, that sucks. I'd be, like, mainline some tomato soup into this fucking IV. I want to die. <laughs> Why tomato soup, though? Why not? That's true. So, during this time, literally, Sid is just throwing all their money away, and he's gambling, and he's buying all these things, and getting them into mad debt. Yeah. They're getting, like, like, have you seen Gone Girl? Yes. And we went to go oh, see it okay. at the theater Whatever, together. Sure. So. Danielle has, like, holes in her memory of, I've, like, every time that I was with her. I got guns in my head. No. I don't know why there's a song in my head. <laughs> um, so... He's essentially throwing all the money away, and like in Gone Girl, he like buys himself an entire garage with like a Robo Cat, like right. this, like that little shed that he has. He has a Roomba. He has a Roomba, and he rides around his Roomba while Judy Garland is out making us money. Judy Garland is sitting on the Roomba, riding around there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she got a fit on it. She was that tiny. Mm-hmm. So that's what's happening. They're both they're riding Roombas in their house, and <laughs> I'm just so, imagining Judy Garland sitting on a Roomba smoking a cigarette <laughs> the house. Probably though. So at this point is when. She's burning through money. Mm-hmm. She has no money. Yeah. And she was, so, like, destitute. She was literally... Yeah. We'll get, we'll get we're there, We're gonna but. get there. It's gonna be a bit bad. So she's essentially buying... Or... She's paying yeah. for this whole family. A Star is Born did not make back what it cost no, to make. No, But it's, like, critically acclaimed, but it didn't make that right. money because of the three-hour time. Yeah. Essentially. And so she, at this point, decides that, like, okay, I'm gonna do this television special because they paid her $100,000 for it. So now we're going to move into kind of the last, like, maybe 10 or 12 years of right. Judy's life. And this is when things get really bad. Like, mm-hmm. she has a lot of ups and downs, but this bitch is the comeback queen. Like, yes. she is the literal comeback queen where she just kept getting back up. Mm-hmm. So in 1956, she is literally constantly touring, and her drug use is getting very bad. She's spiraling. She's taking Because this is when she's doing the UK and European tour, right? Yes, yeah. around here. And so she is constantly touring, and she starts to take amphetamines right before shows. So she's taking them right before the so- show, getting out of the show, and she can't sleep. So she mm-hmm. would literally be up until about 7 in the morning sometimes. Oh, my God. And so she's up till 7 in the morning. Then she has to probably get, like, two hours of sleep, then be right back mm-hmm. at it again. Yeah. And she's still in debt, but the problem is that she's literally trusting Sid. She's trusting mm-hmm. her agents. She's trusting all of these men to essentially manage her money. And she had no idea what was going on with the money. She just right. knows, I'm bringing in a lot of money, but I don't have any money. Right, and I don't know where it is. I don't know where it spending is, it. what's happening with it. She has no control over her life or her money. And so, at this point, there's lots of reports of Sid Luff being very domestically abusive 
towards Judy, mm-hmm. and he was an, he was also an alcoholic. So this is like kind of around that time where these reports are coming out that like Judy later reveals that he was domestically abusive and an alcoholic. Yes. And so by 1959, Judy has run herself like absolutely ragged, and she becomes 180 pounds. She never sees her kids, essentially, and she goes to the hospital when she finds out that at 37 years old, she has hepatitis and a Mm -hmm. failing liver. And so essentially what prompted her to go to the hospital is that she's literally swelling. And it's not even like, oh, I... They they needed to drain fluid from her body. They drain fluid from her because her legs are swollen, her face is swelling. And if you see pictures of her during this time, you're like, she's not... It's not that she's fat or anything. It's that she's just swollen. Because she's thinking like, oh, I'm just getting fat. I'm eating too much. I'm doing this. But like literally her body is just filling with fluid. And the doctors told her that literally she had like five years left. And even then, like she might not even be able to sing or perform. Mm -hmm. They basically told her like, you're never going to sing again. Mm -hmm. But she, in 1960, she manages to get signed by Freddie Fields. Right. And he takes over her career at this right. point. And also the sad part is, is that, like, when she was told that, she was literally, like, relieved about it. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Like, it's, I don't have to put myself through this. Yeah. And so in 1960, she gets signed with Freddie Fields. And so he becomes her manager instead of her husband. And she stars in a movie in 1960. But it's, like, only kind of a small part, whatever. Mm-hmm. And in April of 1961 is where we have the performance at Carnegie Hall. My favorite of all time. And she wins album of the year for this at the Grammys. And she was the first woman to actually win a Grammy. Yes. Yeah. Because she's that bitch. I have, I have that album on vinyl. And oh. it's just, it's one of those that like when I'm upset or having a shitty day, I'll listen to it. And uh, uh, it's just, it's just one of those albums that no one, no one can ever redo mm-hmm. or remake or do better. Just... Oh, oh my god. I'm gonna love, love you, you like nobody's loved you. Come rain, come shine. Thank you. We'll be here all week. We'll be here all week. Donate to our Patreon. We don't have one. We don't have one, but donate to what I want. Here's my Venmo. <laughs> so she does that beautiful, awesome, yes. perfect album. High as a mountain or deep as a Why do you turn it? You automatically go share. Come on. Would you share doing Patreon? She made an Apple one. She just got to do yeah. that one. Why not? Oh my God. I'm waiting. I'm going to DM share on the Twitter. Emperor. So now we're going to move into 1962, which is where she starts the film I Could Go On Singing. That is, have you ever seen that movie? No. Oh my God. One of my favorites. Because she's like, obviously she's, like, she's older. She's in her 40s mm-hmm. in it. But she's with this, like, the whole plot, plot is she has this son with uh, this man who is... Anyways, yeah, the, the actor who's in it. And it's just so depressing because the whole... Um, but, the, like, the final song she sings at the end of the movie is By Myself. Where she just, it's basically like at the end of the day, I only have myself mm-hmm. and no one is around to help me or be with me. And it's, and, and she's performing at the show and she wants her son to be there. And it's just like, so, that movie is such a reflection, I feel like, of her real life yeah. in that movie. And that's why I think this movie was kind of hard for her because it was such a reflection right. of her and life. And you can at see it, it's just so real and yeah. so her. Um, so that's in 1962. Yes. And she, of course, has back on pills at this point, and that was a real big problem on set. 
Mm-hmm. Because at this point, she's taking Demerol, she's taking Ritalin, and she's taking Secanols, which are sleeping pills. Yeah. And so this movie doesn't really do well. But she does, at this point, turn back to, okay, I'm going to go back on TV. Mm-hmm. So in 1963, we have the Judy Garland show. And she, at one point, has Liza, Lorna, and Joey on the show. And this was like this whole big, this show was a gigantic production and yeah. she was working so hard on it. And she's, of course, devastated when it gets canceled at the end of the first season in 1964. Um, Which it was a whole big, beautifully budgeted, like, spectacle where she just had a bunch of, like, numbers and people and all these things Mm -hmm. on it. And so, of course, she's devastated when that gets canceled. So, in 1965, she checks herself into the hospital again because she's really depressed at this point about her career. She has no money and she's in, like, intense debt at this point. Um, she's been working, like, every single day, essentially, for four years, and she is earning money and earning money, and she's doing these TV shows, she's doing all these things, and she's essentially has nothing to show for it. Yeah. So, she checked herself in. And, of course, yet again, she's 42 years old at this point, and she checks herself right back out Mm -hmm. before anything actually got treated. So, in June of 1965, she finds out that she is half a million dollars in debt, and she essentially at this point ends her marriage with Luft and she breaks off with her agent for like breaks off. Yeah, because she agent. was with Mark Heron. Yes. Yeah. So at this point she's on her own. She has three well, before she meets Mark Heron, she was on her own. She had her three kids and no one to manage her at this point. And so she starts doing a bunch of guest stars, mm-hmm. guest star appearances. Yeah, she was actually supposed to be cast as Helen Lawson in Valley oh, no, of the Dolls. That yes. <laughs> oh, trust me, oh, Mama, oh, I got bitch. it. Oh, bitch. I have a word to say about that. Um, <laughs> Which would have been fucking amazing. She would have. Oh, my God. So, at this point, she's doing these guest stars appearances, and this bitch literally used to get paid $50,000 for a guest appearance. Mm-hmm. I would have been like... If anyone wants a guest appearance of my feet, in a picture with yep. like barbecue sauce mm-hmm. or something like let me know if you want me to put cauliflower between my toes i will <laughs> amazing um that's gonna be our patreon just pictures of our scenes <laughs> you can make them like into little ghosts oh my god uh dm us if you want that um no one's gonna ever talk to no us no one's again. ever gonna listen to us again so she starts to get fifty thousand dollars per appearances but she obviously, this girl has been managed her entire life by men or her mom or somebody yeah. who's always there managing everything for her. So she doesn't really know how to manage her money. She's trusting other people to do mm-hmm. it for her. And so she really wants a man to manage her life for her again. So she Same. marries 33-year-old Mark Heron in November of 1965. And she is 43 years old and he is 33 years old. And he also used to date men before dating Judy. Oh, so yes. he's bisexual. And so between, this is where we get the start of, like, 19, between 1964 and 1967 is when she starts doing her recordings for the autobiography, mm-hmm. which we're going to play a little bit, like, a little bit of clips from it. Yeah. Um, but this is one of the quotes from there that I think is really poignant about what she's going through at this point in her life. She said, I am mad. I am mad enough, but still very self-conscious. Yes. Um, and one of the, like, oh my god, this, like, breaks my heart, where she was, like... There is, like, I'm here. Like, there is me. There is a lot of life going here. I wanted to believe, and I tried my damnedest to believe in the rainbow that I tried to get over, but I couldn't. So what? A lot of people can't. 
And so she's literally starts recording this series of tapes for a book about her. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you're seeing a lot of rage coming out. Yeah. I spent my whole life trying to get over that rainbow. Is yeah. that what she talks about? I always think about that. I literally have chills. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to play a little bit of the recordings later, but she starts to essentially just talk about her life. And a lot of it is like at three or four in the morning, she's just talking and talking and talking mm-hmm. into this tape recorder. And so she's suffering from a lot of rage at this point. And you hear that in the recordings. Like, she is just, like, so angry, Mm -hmm. and it's coming out. And um, so she eventually ends up splitting up from Mark Heron. And so we're going to move on to 1966, which this is where we get into the fact that she was fired from Valley of the Dolls. She was supposed to play Helen Lawson. But this book, so Helen Lawson is a character from Valley of the Dolls, if you guys haven't seen it, and she's essentially an aging Broadway star. Mm -hmm. And she's known for being this, like, tough bitch. She's, like, no one will fuck with her. She's a tough-ass, she's an older actress. Yeah. And Jacqueline, who wrote the book, based it off of, like, we have Neely O'Hara, who Mm -hmm. is this young rising star, and then you have Helen Lawson, who's this old, aging, decrepit star. Yeah. And so, obviously, like, Jacqueline based Neely O'Hara on Judy, Mm -hmm. because you have all these, like, there's really weird parallels going on here, where Neely O'Hara is this pill-popping Broadway star, and Helen is this aging star who's known to be difficult. Mm-hmm. So you have the two aspects of Judy, of Judy. going on yeah. in one movie, and she's not playing the part of, like, this young, beautiful starlet. She's right. playing the older Helen. Helen Lawson, who, in her own right, is, like, she acknowledges, like, yeah, Helen's so talented and all this shit, but it's kind of like Helen has had a fall from grace. Mm-hmm. And I think that was and really And also she's hard. not in the spotlight anymore. Yeah, she's it's, not in the spotlight yeah. anymore. And she's literally described in the book as being, like, if you read this book, like, it's a great book. Yeah. Great movie, too. Great book, yeah. great movie. Um, she's literally described as being, like, this bloated woman who has a wig and is just, like, the ultimate epitome of, like, fallen from grace star. And so Judy has a really hard time with this, obviously, because she notices how similar this is to her life, like, what's going on for her. And so she's fired from the film for being difficult and she was objecting to the script and she didn't like how Neely O'Hara was being portrayed so closely to her. And there were several other reasons about why she was fired, but she later says that like, oh, I actually just resigned. Like I didn't get fired. Okay. Okay. So that was happening in 1966. She was supposed to play this really big role, which Valley of the Dolls would have been another movie that was completely changed by her performance. Like, the actress who plays Helen is great. Right. But I think that that movie would have been greater with Judy Garland playing Helen. I had to check because I was, I was like, wait, was she in, um, I, for a second I thought she had played uh, Endora and Bewitched, and I was like, no, I think that's another actress. Mm. I'm just thinking of the two redheads. Oh, okay, okay. So, we have that part of her life here, which is 1966. She gets fired from Valley of the Dolls. And now in 1968, she goes back on the concert route, and she would basically not show up or be really bad on stage. Yeah. And so at one show, she made them wait for an hour for her to get on, so they started pelting her with bread and glasses when she came out. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's what you do when, you know, you're someone who's put their life into this. Yeah. yeah. I, li- I literally love how that was like. They were like, audiences loved and respected her. I was like, no, they no, just shit heads to her. they were assholes. So, at this point, 
her house gets sold. Her kids go to live with Sid. And so she's essentially, which, like, this is a part of her life where people, I think, don't really realize this. Like, she's been so canonized and her whole history has kind of just been so glossed over Mm -hmm. that we don't realize the fact that literally just a few years before her death, she was essentially homeless with no money and she Mm -hmm. was living out of a suitcase. Yeah. Um, And so during this time, she says, I'm the queen of the comeback. I'm getting tired of coming back. I really am. I can't even go to the powder room without making a comeback. So, in 1966, Judy meets her last husband, who is Mickey Deans. Mm -hmm. And he... It was... In the Judy movie, apparently, they have Finn Whitrock kind of, like, come out and surprise her. Like, he's, like, comes on a hotel tray and surprises Mm -hmm. her. But in reality, like, he was delivering drugs to her hotel. Mm -hmm. So, they met... Like, they had met earlier, way before this. They met in 19... I'm sorry. So, they had actually met in 1966... But they get married in 1968. Yeah, and they got married at the Chelsea Register office on March 15th of that year. It's so romantic. I know, so beautiful. So in 1968, she marries him, and he was a discotheque manager, drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And so he is 34, and Judy is 46 at this point. And she, what's really funny about this is that Liza literally like is like, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't come to the wedding, mom, but I'll be at your next one. Like, literally told her mother this. I love that. She goes, I'll be at your next one, though. hmm And so Liza doesn't go to her wedding, obviously. And no one really likes Mickey. Like, which way mm-hmm. would you? I mean, I feel like that's, like, when your friend gets a boyfriend and you're like, mm. Like, everyone knows he's a piece of shit, <laughs> right. essentially. Like, when you know your friend's boyfriend is, like, a piece right. of shit. Right, and you're like, and you're okay, like, whatever. Right. And so Liza literally doesn't go to her wedding. It's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, mom, okay. Yeah, which Judy right. kind of felt that way by now like Liza describes the fact that like her mom was kind of like yeah you just for now whatever mm-hmm. like she had this very lax attitude about yeah getting married I mean when you're you you know you're dying and your life is falling apart and you're like you know what I might as well might as well so she obviously feels a lot safer with the husband like mm-hmm. she always wants, she's always had someone yeah like she can't she can't not have someone yeah and so he's the one that kind of pushes her he mm-hmm. pushes her really hard and he forces her to perform even though she's not feeling well. And she sets out, she literally goes on her honeymoon and then immediately goes on a concert tour mm-hmm. right after. And when she comes back from this tour, like, obviously she's really, really burned out. Yeah. And he just keeps pushing her. And her family didn't really approve of him. Wait, like, what the fuck is he doing? What the fuck is he? He's, he's, he just, just wants money. He just wants money from her, essentially. Yeah. Which we'll find out more about that later for the fact that he literally only married Judy Garland because he knew that she's at this point destitute, mm-hmm. but he's thinking he's going to make a pretty penny have her, her. Oh, yeah, the comeback queen. Let's yeah. do it. Let's have a comeback. So her family obviously does not approve of him, and they were literally like, they don't get good vibes from this kid. They know that he's only in this for the money, and she kind of just like can't see it, you know? Yeah. So now we're going to get into a little bit about her death mm-hmm. is where we're going to go here. Which hmm. is very, is it's extremely suspicious, okay? Yeah. So, on June 21st of 1969. I have June 22nd. I'm going through all the, the events, essentially. Oh, okay. I was like, wait. So, June 21st of 1969, she planned to meet her publicist for this show, but she bails because she says, Mickey doesn't feel well, like, he has the flu. Mm-hmm. So, her publicist, like, calls over and is like, hey, like, are you guys coming to the show? Like, I'd love for you to come to the show and all this stuff. 
And she says, like, oh, he's not feeling good. Like, we're just going to stay at home. And mm-hmm. she was watching some documentary. Um, Me staying at home and watching a documentary? <laughs> yeah, literally. So now we're going to move into the day of Judy's death, which is June 22nd of 1969. So a friend of Judy's calls that morning to speak with her. And Mickey answers the phone. And he's, like, awoken up by the phone. Mm-hmm. Mickey answers it. And after hearing, he's like, hey, I want to talk to Judy. So Judy goes, or Mickey goes to find Judy, and he finds her, like, he goes, he's like, Was she staying in a separate room? She was, I think, like, he he went and got the phone from the other room. Yeah. He goes to go find her, see she's not in bed. Is like, oh, she must be in the bathroom because the bathroom door is closed. Mm-hmm. Um, but he can't get into the bathroom. There's no answer. The door is locked. So he has to literally go outside, and he climbs out onto the roof, and he gets into the bathroom that way. Wow. And... He sees her basically laying on the floor, and she's kind of hanging over the toilet, like her head is over yeah. the toilet. And so he's thinking, like, oh, she's just, she fell asleep. She passed out. She passed out. She's still, like, she's just sleeping, whatever. Yeah. Which is normal. Mm-hmm. Which you have to understand, like, seeing her like this or seeing her passed out, whatever, is kind of a normal event at this right. point. And so he sees her laying on the bathroom floor. He picks her up thinking she's alive and he kind of grabs her face and like slaps her face. And he's yeah. like, Judy, like wake up, wake Judy. Up. Yeah. And he realizes like when he's holding her face, like he describes it, like he's holding her face. He's like, Judy, Judy. And yeah. he realizes like then that she's cold. Mm-hmm. And so he said, he says that like, he like was looking at her and was like, Oh my God. Like he realizes like, Holy shit. Yeah. But what has to be understood about this time is that, just like with Marilyn Monroe, you don't call the ambulance, you call the publicist or you call the studio beforehand because you can't you can't call the police because the story will break. Yeah. So nothing can get out. So when starlets and people would overdose or when someone was suspected of being dead, you would call the publicist or the studio before you would ever call the police or an ambulance. Yeah. So he calls her publicist at 7.30 in the morning, and his name is Matthew West, and he calls... Um, Calls him over and essentially says, like, hi, Judy's dead. I think Judy's dead. So Matthew West is the one, her publicist, he's the one that calls the police. They bring her down from the bathroom and she's pronounced dead on arrival. And so they do an autopsy and she had taken 10 sleeping pills and is diagnosed with an accidental um, overdose or barbiturate poisoning. Right. But it wasn't they couldn't find the actual drugs in so, her stomach. what's interesting is she had no drag, drug residue in her stomach. She had ingested the drugs. They think it's because she was ingesting so many drugs over time that mm-hmm. eventually just slowly poisoned her liver. Right. Which we know she had liver failure. Yes. We know that she had cirrhosis of the liver. And so the coroner, whose name is Gavin Thurston, he says that he announces that it's a barbiturate poisoning. This is an accidental overdose. But the problem here is that she, so essentially like, yeah, maybe she's slowly poisoning herself and her mm-hmm. liver gives out and that's what happened. But it's also just like, I don't know that 10 sleeping pills would have killed her. Right. And I it says, um, along with like the accidental overdose cause, um, her physician noted that a prescription of 25 barbiturate pills was found by her bedside half empty and another bottle of 100 pills was still unopened. Which is a big, that's going to be a big thing in two minutes. Mm-hmm. Exactly two minutes. In exactly two minutes, I'm going to tell you why. So why this is interesting is because it's later revealed by Sid Luft, 
So Sid Luft writes his own book about his life with Judy. And he basically is like, hey, Judy always told you, like, you have to watch out and you have to be aware of what I'm doing, essentially. So Mm -hmm. all of her husbands kind of had this agreement with her where she would say, hey, don't let me have access to more than three secondals or sleeping pills. Mm-hmm. So don't leave more than three by my bed. Because right. she would probably just take them yeah. and be like, whatever. Okay, yeah. So Sid was like, this was a code that all of us knew, mm-hmm. essentially. Like, there, don't leave any more than three pills by my bed. But she had a reported 30 to 40, or like in this case, like 100, yeah. like access to that many pills right next to where her bed was. Mm-hmm. And so it's pretty... Weird that, like, all of her husbands knew this agreement. Mickey D probably knew this agreement. But then all of a sudden it's like, oh. Right. Or unless he was just high himself and didn't. Didn't know. Yeah. Or didn't pay attention or do it. So, I I mean, I guess you guys can see where this is going. Right. He is one of the biggest conspiracies about Judy Garland's death is that Mickey Deans did it. Mm-hmm. So Lorna Luft, who is Judy's daughter, explained that the day of Judy's funeral, Mickey met with a publisher on the way back to make a deal for a Judy biography. Are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised, though. I'm not surprised, no. Yeah. So she said that she was literally like, they pulled over the limo on the way back, and she was like, what the fuck? And... He was going to make a deal with the publisher the day of if the If I was Liza Minnelli, I would have beat the shit out of him on the side of the road. I, I don't know how they did it. it. And he eventually does write it, and it's called Weep No More, My Lady. Go fuck yourself, mm-hmm. you Which fucking... Which was obviously like a... It was obviously like a clear money grab. Okay? British motherfucker. Is he British? I don't know if he's British. I thought they met in England. I think they met in English. I don't know if he's British. Look it up. <laughs> someone... We, we don't know what we're talking about. Just kidding. We do. But... Yeah, because she died in England, and then they had she to bring her in- over. All right, yeah, so he's American, but they met in England. Yeah. My bad. I just assumed he was He seems British. like a name like Mickey Deans. You know what? He might as well. Might as well be. So, here's the thing. You know, who, you know who should have played him in the fucking movie instead of Finn Rock? Fucking Noel Fielding. I was literally <laughs> I was just thinking that. Like, literally on the top of my head, I was like, They no should have cast him as Mickey Deans. Noel Fielding, who is literally British. I mean, hey. So, Shout out to Noel Fielding. I wanted to be in this podcast. <laughs> we just want everyone on this podcast. So, the big theory with Mickey Deans is that essentially that he waited until she took all her pills. Mm-hmm. Like, he knew that she was drinking and taking the pills, so he was like, oh, she's knocked out. And they think that he put her head, like, in the toilet and just kind of left her there. And he gave her a fucking... He gave her a swirly... <laughs> Oh, God. So I think that he actually, like, just gave her a swirly, and then he pulled her head out. But also, like, you would know if somebody drowned, but maybe you wouldn't. Maybe they wouldn't have looked for it. But they said that maybe he just posed her body there and left her, didn't get her any right. help or something. My guess is that if this man was, like, selling drugs and, like, fuck, he was probably just as fucked up as she was. And I don't want to say, like, oh, like, he wasn't in the right headspace, so he didn't know. But at the same time, like, he didn't. I don't think he gave a shit. Like, no, it was just, they were just her. partying, and it was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm married to Judy Garland now. I'm unstoppable. I can mm-hmm. do whatever I want. Who cares? Like, she's fine. She can take care of herself, you yeah. know. But, like, I don't think he took it as seriously as maybe her past husbands did, mm-hmm. even if they were assholes. Like, they kind of knew what the deal was. Yeah. And I think he just, maybe not that he didn't care, but I don't think he took it as seriously, and he definitely didn't take her life as seriously yeah. as he should have. Mm-hmm. So I think, I mean, 
this is a theory that was put forth by like a private investigator and he said that essentially he thinks that he intentionally posed her by the toilet and left her there to like drown or die or whatever Mm -hmm. and there was like a rumor that he had met a younger girl and he Mm -hmm. wanted out of the marriage at this point but whatever yeah but it's it's like why do like she doesn't care she'll get divorced yeah i'm like dude you're nobody to her right you're not that important so i mean i personally i think he might have had something to do with it i think there might be some foul play with this Mm -hmm. where it's like he could have left them out there. He could have left them out there for a few days. And right. like, or just didn't just pay attention didn't to pay her. Attention. Yeah, it was it was probably neglect. Yeah, it was by someone who was mentally ill and a drug addict mm-hmm. and an alcoholic, and just being like, oh, like whatever, you know, I'm just gonna be out in a, out in a, out in a boot out and a do boot. my own thing. So this private investigator basically said that like Judy Harley weighed a thing. When she was that age. So it would have been easy for him to lift her body and carry it to the bathroom. He placed her on the bathroom toilet and pushed her head forward and down. He knew that in her unconscious state, it would just be a matter of time before she suffocated. To cover his tracks, Dean's left the house and didn't return until morning. Right. But do they have proof of that? No. This is just, I think. And the fact that he, like, climbed through the bathroom and did all the, like, I don't know. It's just, I think there's definitely probably foul play, but at the most... It's just, like, a negligent yeah. thing is what I think it is. Um, that's what I think. And Sid Luft, though, is the one that really is cha- – he championed this idea. He was, like, really? he absolutely killed her, mm-hmm. and he believed it wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, he said he thinks that, like, it was all a big setup, and C- or Sid basically said that, like, I have to believe that Deans did it purposely. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Right. I don't think he did this – I don't know. I think that, honestly, her liver might have just given out. Yeah. And he wasn't watching her, so it mm-hmm. probably sped up the process. Yeah. That's what I think. She went to the bathroom and just, yeah. Yeah, because the coroner said, quote, This is quite clearly an accidental circumstance to a person who is accustomed to taking barbiturates over a very long time. Mm-hmm. She took more barbiturates than she could tolerate. Yeah, and she was she was nothing. Like, she, like she had no way to her. Like, she was... T- Tiny. She was tiny. She didn't weigh much. She literally had just been going downhill for a very long time. Mm-hmm. She run. She ran herself down. Yeah. Which Liza Minnelli basically, she didn't take it as like because there is theories of like oh this was a suicide. Yeah. Okay. But Liza Minnelli basically took the viewpoint that her mother probably died from exhaustion more than anything else. Right. And she said. That though Garland was only 47 when she died, she was exhausted from a long career in front of people, always feeling like she was never good enough, okay? Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, like, when she died, like, because uh, my, my mom always tells me when we talk about it, she's like, I remember the exact day when Judy Garland died, because my mom was like, this was 69, so I think she was like 8 or 9 years mm-hmm. old, and she's like, I went out, and uh, her neighbor would always be in the back um, in a moo smoking a cigarette. Me. And she said she walked out there and she saw her neighbor in this moo smoking a cigarette um, with Judy Garland playing. And just, like, everyone was just, like, so upset. Like, yeah. everyone was just disassociating because it was just such Distraught, a big yeah. loss at the time. So her daughter, so Minnelli said that she let her guard down she didn't die from an overdose. I think she just got tired. She lived like a taut wire. I don't think she ever looked for real happiness because she always thought happiness would mean the end. Mm-hmm. So that's what her daughter basically had to say about it. And so now we're going to move into the day of Judy's funeral, which her funeral was 
on June 27th of 1969, and her body was flown from England to New York, Mm -hmm. where 20,000 fans showed up. And if as, I was alive in 1969, my ass would have been right would have there. Been right there. And it literally gives me chills to think about because when they brought the body out, people started singing together the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Like, wow. literally, they were bringing her body out and they were yeah. singing that. And so this is one of the theories that, like, I'm kind of getting get into a little bit, which mm-hmm. is the Judy's connection to the gay community that we're going to yes. talk about next. So, essentially... The day, this was June 27th, 1969, when this happened, and there was a lot of her fans who were gay. Mm -hmm. Judy was very important to the gay community because her concerts, her general person was somewhere where people could find a lot of solace. They could be themselves. And they could be themselves, essentially. So... Judy's actually, a lot of people reported that, like, she had, like, all the papers at the time basically said that she attracted a lot of homosexuals. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so she had very many gay fans, and she had a lot of gay friends as well, and she had been married to a bisexual man, her father was bisexual or a closeted homosexual, like, she wasn't, she was accustomed to it, and she was accepting of it, essentially. So, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the rumor or the conspiracy that her death ignited the Stonewall Riots. Mm -hmm. So, the Stonewall Riots took place on June 28th of 1969. So, in 1969, it was illegal to be homosexual, like, it was illegal to be gay, and so there was a lot of raids on suspected gay bars during this time. So, essentially, cops used to literally go undercover and flirt with men and then arrest the ones who took the bait. So much fucking entrapment. Which is just nasty. Yeah. So, we're gonna go to the Stonewall Inn, which was a gay-friendly bar in Greenwich Village, and... It's about 1.20 in the morning at the Stonewall Inn, and the police bust in and they order people to line up against the wall and show their IDs. And if your gender didn't match your ID, you were arrested. And if you had no ID, they would literally take you into another room to be sex verified. Because... That's so fucking horrible. It's degrading and disgusting. And this place, like, what has to be understood about why Stonewall became the literal, like, the spark for the modern gay rights movement is because this place was literally sacred ground for drag queens Mm -hmm. and it was where drag queens drag queens yes drag queens (laughs) drag queen drag queen those are the italian drag queens (laughs) drag queen yeah see so this place is literally yes that's what they're trying (laughs) (laughs) so this place is literally sacred ground for drag queens because they were able to be welcomed here, whereas drag queens really weren't able to it's go It's not out. like it is now. It it's wasn't not like fucking it is now. RuPaul's... This wasn't... This isn't it's, RuPaul's best friend race. It was not RuPaul, RuPaul's best friend race during this time, where drag queens were not even welcome at gay bars. Right. Okay, so they were, like, kind of a shunned part of it, where it's like, you're I not welcome I want to take here. you to a gay bar. Exactly. Gay bar. Anyway. So, at this point, there's a lot of drag queens who are welcome at this bar there's underage gay kids and there's homeless gay kids who have nowhere else to go who would come there to basically feel safe yeah and so the riots break out and they start when the drag queens started to refuse to comply with the sex checks and they would also are like we're refusing to show id others were like i'm not showing you my id you're not verifying my gender and this is so weird to think because it's 69 it's not like 87 Mm -hmm. or you know it's literally not even the 70s yet We're not even close to yeah. 
we're not even close to the 70s at this point, right. like, or in the middle of the 70s or 80s when being gay starts to be more acceptable. Right. So, they refuse to comply, and so they say, all right, round all these bitches up, we're all going, everyone's going downtown. Yeah. So, Marsha Johnson, who is a black trans woman, she throws a shot glass at a mirror, and this is basically the, like, ignition for this yeah. event. So, it's not like the movie Stonewall. Oh my god, said that, that such, a, a white kid so started sad. started the Stonewall riots. Right. No, it was a black trans woman. Mm-hmm. And so she throws this shot glass at a mirror, and others who are waiting outside, who either escaped or other gay community members who are gathering around, they hear that people are being beaten by the cops inside, and the crowd basically starts to taunt the officers and kind of like give them a hard time. Yeah. But Marsh is the one who's like throwing fuck down the this. gauntlet, like yeah. fuck this. And so Storm De, De La Verie, mm-hmm. Storm De La Verie, she is clubbed for fighting with officers and she yells to the people who are basically watching this and she says, why don't you guys do something? And she basically yells at them and yeah. is like, why are you just sitting here? Right. And so at this point, like chaos erupts. They start to throw pennies and bottles and literally any and everything that they can at the officials and they slash their tires of mm-hmm. the, the wagon that they were going to bring them in in. And so the people who were detained started to escape and they joined in and they essentially trapped the officials in the bar and they like set fire to the outside, like total throwdown. And so this is essentially the event that breaks open the gay rights movement. And so after this, people started to come out at night and like night after night, they started showing up and saying like, we're not playing no more of this bullshit. Like Mm -hmm. we're not sitting here and hiding anymore. Yeah. And I think that was something that somebody talked about that, like, literally gives me chills for, like, Judy's funeral because a guy was talking about the fact that, like, people from all walks of life came to Judy's funeral. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that it's, like, here are gay men and kids and straight men and straight women and gay women. Like, we're all here together Mm -hmm. for one common cause to mourn her And, like, we're out in the daylight. Like, it was a lot of gay men who were, like, we're out in the daylight. Like, no one's hiding. Yeah. So that was kind of the energy at at Judy's funeral. And this is literally, like, the the night of. Right. So a lot of people believe that her death is the reason that the riots were started. But this is kind of – it's disputed a lot. Right. And I would say, like, the reason, like, it started. Like, it started because these people who were being degraded and oppressed – finally had enough and fucking you know stood up for themselves and you know this black trans woman like you know started this fucking movement but also it I would say obviously since it was such a cultural shock that happened Mm -hmm. it was definitely a catalyst to it yeah and so one of the participants whose name is Thomas Lanigan Schmidt he said there are people who connect the funeral to the narrative of Stonewall and you're not going to tell them it doesn't connect so let them have it it didn't start the riot off believe me so people feel very strongly Mm -hmm. about that connection um but people also like I think that there is a connection I would say there is some sort of connection Mm -hmm. in the sense that people were grieving for her yeah like she was a big loss for the gay community but that doesn't mean that she started it off like her funeral like they didn't do this in the name of Judy Garland (laughs) It was like, y'all have taken Judy, yeah. and I'm tired of this shit. Me, like every that. day of my life, y'all have taken and Judy, and, and I'm, I'm tired. tired of this shit. Me screaming at my ceiling. <laughs> Literally, me in the mirror. Um, <laughs> but people were, like, there is a current in the air that night that's, like, electrified in the mm-hmm. sense of, like, we're grieving. We've yeah. lost somebody. We're being raided. We're being oppressed. Like, and we've just fucking had enough. Yeah. And so, 
that's why they think like, oh, there's this big connection to it, which I think there is a connection, but I, it's not the catalyst for it. It's right. not the reason this happened. Um, but I was going to talk a little bit about why Judy was such an icon to the gay community, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, a review of her performance at the Palace Theater in 1967 claimed, this is about her audience, it says, it was disproportionate part of her nightly claque seems to be homosexual. And then they said that the boys in their tight trousers would roll their eyes, tear at their hair, and practically levitate from their seats as she performed. Me? Honestly, like, what a mood, okay? I'm just imagining the Spongebob meme where he's, like, levitating backwards. It's like, ooh, like, that's, that's exactly what, what they were that's doing. That's literally what they were all doing. So... <laughs> Literally, like, at the Palace Theater, everyone was losing their minds right. for her, okay? Um, Judy Garland got on stage, and they were like, get out of your mind! And then well, they, like, levitated in the They air. were, like, they dressed up as a McDonald's clown, and they were like, let's make freaking lose it! And he, like, pours a slushie over her head, and he goes, get out of your mind! That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Because there was a... During that time, to know that another person was gay, they would use the Friends of Dorothy code. Or, like, mm-hmm. you're a friend of Dorothy, mm-hmm. like, you're gay. Yes. Oh, um, I need to use that more. Uh-huh. So they used it to identify each other, and so she was an icon to them, essentially. And one of the reasons that she was such an icon to the gay community is that basically she is, like, this comeback kid aesthetic where, like, no matter how many times she got knocked down, she kept getting back up. Mm -hmm. And so she was strongly associated with the idea that, like, she knew what it was to suffer and to struggle and to not be accepted. So, like, they saw a lot of that in her. Yeah. Like, we recognize that. And also there was a thing of the Wizard of Oz represented this escape from restricted life and being able to, like, this kind of, that rainbow analogy of, like, we're going from this gray world where we're constricted and we have to look a certain way to, like, look at this world of color that, like, we could be in and, like... Where Pink Floyd's money is playing. We'll get into that for the next episode. Yeah, exactly. So that was kind of a little bit of why she was such an icon and Mm -hmm. why she might have been the reason that the Stonewall riots were started so where's the ghost shit tell me All about right. the ghost shit so <laughs> okay well let's first say that like judy garland recently she was she was, she was buried in new york and then, and they, then moved. they moved her to hollywood yeah. forever so she was moved to hollywood forever but i didn't know this but can like, i just say that i'm such a fucking weirdo that when that happened i watched the video of them like bringing her body in the car like through the hollywood weird. forever gates it's just like interesting because it's like she was in new york for so long and then they like because they had to do it, like, at night, so there wouldn't be, like, a big crowd. Well, what do you call it? Um, Mickey Deans had control over her body, and he oh. wouldn't let her be buried. He Like, I think he, he died in 2003. He wouldn't let her be buried. Like, he was, they were, he had control, and they made, he made them bury her in New York. Because I think she was like, in a mausoleum in New York. Yeah. Yeah. But he made them bury her in New York, and then. You mean made them? Mean, he, he had, had control over where her, her body would go. That's ridiculous. So, they eventually were like, all three of her kids are like, we're in Southern California, we yeah. want her here, so she gets moved. So now she's in Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and she is at the Judy Garland Pavilion, like the whole place where she's in. She called. she has her own house she's in the bitch. cemetery. It's beautiful. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to pay tribute. I'm just sitting there, just lie prostrate on the floor. Honestly. <laughs> um. So, the last little thing I talked about was, like, some ghost. So, she is one of the ghosts that is rumored to haunt the Palace Theater. That's why I brought up the Palace Theater, the Palace Theater performance. Um, There's a lot of ghosts. So, it's located at Broadway at West 47th Street, and it was built in 1913. And so, this theater is obviously such a big 
it was a big performance for Judy, and it was really important. So there's rumors that she haunts this place. But there's several hundreds. There's, like, they said there's hundreds of ghosts that haunt this place. She's just one of them. She shows up sometimes when she's bored. She's like, Chicago, Chicago. No, that's not what she says, but okay. Why not? So (laughs) she is one of more than 100 ghosts that are said to, quote... They're, these are the ghosts that haunt the palace, quote, including a white gown cellist who is, plays in the pit. And <laughs> she's sad, like, open up the pit. She goes, she open up this fucking pit. And she just screams. And then she just She's a banshee. <laughs> she's a banshee. Um, another ghost that they see there is a sad little girl who looks down from the balcony. Me. me. <laughs> a man in a brown suit who walks quickly past open office doors late at night. No, that's me. Okay. Just walking quickly everywhere. Or this is this this one's actually me. Yeah. A boy who rolls toy trucks on the landing between the mezzanine. <laughs> um, and it's also said that Judy Garland herself. Haunts Shane the and Ryan need to go there. We're gonna go there. We need to investigate the ghost of Judy Garland. We're going to. So she is actually said to haunt like near this where. So okay. So it is said that. Judy Garland herself haunts the theater and that her presence is felt near a door that was built especially for her at the rear of the orchestra. So apparently sometimes they'll be playing Mm -hmm. and see, like, a figure there that they believe to be Judy. She's watching. She's watching them. Um, According to various sources, the ghost of acrobat and tightrope walker Louis Borsellino is said to haunt the palace. Different versions of the story suggest that he fell to his death during a performance. Hmm. And so the stagehands have claimed that when the theater is empty, empty, his ghost can be seen swinging from the rafters. And this is me. He's swinging with Judy Garland. He's like, I'm going to swing from the chandelier. Um, he said, I could go on swinging. Okay. Hey, everybody, how we doing tonight? <laughs> <laughs> but this is literally like a live reenactment of me singing yes. uh, Jensen Ackles. So this beautiful like Italian tightrope walker... It is said that he, quote, he lets out a blood-curdling scream, then reenacts his nosedive. Me. Yeah. A big mood. <laughs> so those are just some of the, the kind of hauntings at the Palace Theater, and she's rumored to be one of them. Um, I don't think she's haunting there. No, I think she's at rest. I think, I think she's that bitch is tired. She's, she's fucking tired, exhausted. She ain't got nowhere else to be. Let her live. Yeah, but... I thought I would end this episode with a nice quote from, like, Mickey Rooney, even though he's, like, a little bit garbage. Oh, Mickey. So, Mickey Rooney said, She was a great talent and a great human being. She was, I'm sure, at peace and has found that rainbow. At least I hope she has. Oh, Mickey. I'm gonna cry. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Um, so we can play a little bit of those tapes Yes. We'll, like, send you guys off with a little bit of what the tapes are that she recorded. So you guys can sort of hear her voice. This is towards the end of her life. This is the last probably like five years of her life when mm-hmm. she was recording this. This is when she was angry. Very angry. I'm very self-conscious about talking about myself. But I think I'm not the person that I am because I have something to write about at last. If you like it, you'll like it. If you don't like it, you won't like it. But you won't be able to take it lightly. Any more than I've been able to take it lightly. I've laughed at myself when I should have cried. And I've cried because I had every reason I've got there mad. I'm an angry lady. I'm a lady who is angry. I've been insulted, slandered, humiliated, but still America's sweetheart. Now, I'm a rather... Intelligent, I think. 
Well, yeah. I'm a woman. I'm emotional. I'm not something you wind up and put on a stage that sings Carnegie Hall album and you put her in a closet and forget to invite her to the party that's given for her. The ages leave her behind. So, yeah. You can, you can tell that she is just devastated. Mm-hmm. She's so hurt. She's so hurt because she's just been fucking hurt and abused her entire life. Yep. And she's finally having a voice about it and speaking out about it. And, like, what's sad is, like, the only way that she was able to actually sit there and talk about it, like, was to a tape recorder. Mm-hmm. Like, she could only get this out through a literal tape recorder and nobody else because nobody gave a shit. Right. Like, even her kids, like, and I understand to a certain degree... Like, Liza at this point is, like, kind of on her own. Mm-hmm. Everyone's on their own making their careers and doing whatever. But, like, nobody helped her. Right. And it's not to say it's her kid's job to help her or anything like that. But, like, and I know that Liza said that several times, like, it was her and her sibling's job to pick up their mom and take care of her all the time. But, like, nobody really gave a shit about her. And nobody really bothered with her. And, like, she was this beautiful, wonderful starlet, but yet nobody helped her. And mm-hmm. everyone just kind of fueled her addiction. Everyone wanted a piece of her for themselves. Yeah. Yep. Everyone, exact, like, that's exactly what it was. Is that everyone kind of wanted their version of Judy Garland and to just keep taking and taking from mm-hmm. her until, like, her body just gave out. Yeah. So she was only 47 when she died. Right. But if you look at pictures of her, she literally looks like she could be in her 60s. Yeah. Because her body was so torn apart at this point from all of the drugs right. and alcohol and losing weight, gaining weight, just, like, being on pills since you're 10 years old. Yeah. And that yeah. being said, her legacy will live on yep. forever because she is just such an extreme icon. And I think it was so important to talk about her yep. for this episode and what she's been through and just all the horrible shit that she went through and everything else with her death. And, like, yeah, we had, like, a little bit of the conspiracies in there and everything. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, it was it was just such – she just went through such tragedy and mm-hmm. her body was just over it. Yeah. And it's, like, this is one of those stories where you're, like, you have to understand the backstory to it to get to the end. Like, and somebody mm-hmm. – one of the people who was talking in the documentary was, like – in order to understand Judy, you have to start at the beginning mm-hmm. to understand how she got to the end. Right. Like, and that's that's why I think this was a good lead up to our Wizard of Oz video. Yeah. Uh, video. Our Wizard of Oz episode <laughs> but, next. Um, because I think to really get into that and, you know, all the crazy shit that happened and the conspiracies, you need to understand Judy Garland's yeah. life. So we hope you guys enjoyed it. And we're very excited to record our next Wizard of Oz episode because mm-hmm. this is something that has a lot involved with it mm-hmm. and what I've been wanting to talk about for a while. Um, and if you guys have any info that you would like to share that we didn't talk about in this episode, let us know. You can DM us on Twitter or Instagram and follow us on those as well. Mm-hmm. And you can send us an email to mosthexcellentpod at gmail.com. And... You can follow us on social media. Follow us. Most excellent. Give us Instagram a review. And Twitter. Leave us a review. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. Stay, Stay excellent.